Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week, we're playing a team format. Here's how the game works. I play a song for a team of three comprised of returning Guest of the Year contestants. After the song concludes, the team will discuss and ultimately submit a single guess of the live track's year. However many years off they are is their team score for that round. If they nail the year exactly, they get zero points. If they're one year off, they get one point, and so on. After five songs, however many years off they are in total is their team's score for the game. In last week's episode, Smigo, Murph, and Jev got five points. That's the score to beat for this week's team. Whichever team has the lower score wins a prize pack of Guess the Year shirts. Unlike the main tournament, where the winner stays on, these are one-off matches. We'll meet the Deadheads in a moment, but first, without further ado, the Grateful Dead. So the other team was Smigo, Murph, and Jev, and their total aggregate score was five. A very good score. The pressure's on from the start. We'll see what Todd thought. Todd appeared in episodes 16 through 19. Todd is 52 from Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, Todd, do you have a, a feeling for that one? I think I do. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think 89 or 90. The recording quality was um, was not pristine on this end. Uh, Phil was really thumpy. Bobby was really chimey. And then uh, Garcia's licks in the solo, uh, uh, later when they play it, he plays this sort of descending run, da-da-da-da-da. And that, that's later in the evolution of Touch of Grey, so it's not an early touch. And then I heard that Mickey was on. Mickey's fills were in time. So I think 89 or 90, I'd lean 90. Joshua is 19 from the Bay He was in episode 18. He had that thriller against Todd and now they're teammates. Good TV here. Joshua, what do you think about Todd's kind of range there? I'm perfectly aligned with Todd's range. I'm a little intimidated by the score of the, you know, the previous team because, you know, f five songs and five points, that means that they're, you know, if we were to put it at an average, they were only like a year off per song. So there's like a part of me that wants to go like, maybe it's 88, but I'm really, I was really leaning with Todd that like 88, 89, 90 seems to be the, the best for this. 
Um, it could even be 90 because um, it seems to me that after like spring tour and summer tour, just like especially with the ultra matrix soundboards that we have, like Bob's guitars, like, for, like you know, as uh, Todd said, like, like the chiminess of it, you know, like sort of like the thin sound that we know today, like you can hear it very much pronounced and like, you know, you got that more, I think, in 89 and 90 than you did in 87 or 88. Like, you know, Huey turned him up a little more because I know that was always a constant issue that he had. So 89 or 90, I'm with Todd. I'm wondering what Jonathan says. Jonathan appeared in episode 24. He is 24 from Tallahassee. Uh, Jonathan, what are you thinking? Um, not going to lie. I feel like this is a pre-coma Jerry. Um, something about the uh, uh, Brent's organs. Um, they, 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 they didn't really uh, feel as uh, bright as like uh, 89, 90. Um, not going to lie. I listened to a lot of 89, 90. And those were not uh, late Brent organs, in my opinion. They're kind of transitional organs from like kind of like the early mid eighties into post coma Jerry. Um, I feel like there's kind of some more warm uh, kind of synth sounds instead of more the bright organ you might find in a later coma or later post coma uh, Brent years. Plus, um, Jerry, I don't know. Um, I don't know. He he just I, I was just imagining him kind of disheveled like he was before his organ. Um. I honestly like I'm I'm throwing my dart on uh, 85 for this show. I mean I don't know about you guys, but like that's that's kind of how I, I feel. Just it. between Jerry and the organ, um, it just did not it did not sound like 89.90 whatsoever to me. I could see that with Jerry's voice. Jerry's voice didn't sound as enthusiastic, I would say, as he did in 89.90. So I don't know. Kind of it, tired, yeah. right? A little. Yeah. Kind of yeah. tired. Yeah. So. Which, in addition to all the banter, makes me wonder, 88, sort of push it back a little bit. There was a real chimey time in 88 with Bob's um, guitar tone that had a lot of distortion, almost explodes out of there. But that would still be post-coma. I did not think it was 85. I didn't think it had that bouncy sort of liltiness. And I don't know the organs nearly as well as you, Jonathan. I mean, I don't know the organs too well. I mean, uh, how about this? From uh, July 4th, 1989, they played Touch of Grey. I did not hear this organ from that 89 show whatsoever. So I think this has got to be earlier. In, in what sense? Like you didn't hear the organ as in like Brent didn't play the organ? Or like the no, sound no, no, no. Absolutely. Organ? Brent played the organ. It's just uh, oh, oh, a different like, device was played. You know, like he, he switched up, yeah. up his gear. That, at least the, to me, that's what I'm hearing. I feel pretty pretty comfortable post coma, I, I must say. Especially that the the guitar part in the solo where he sort of plays the theme again. I feel like eighty eight is like a fair compromise, but like I I would still lean with somewhere like eighty nine ninety because I also wouldn't say like I I feel like part of like the sound we just have to adjust to the fact that part of it is also like through Zoom. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure that Mike is playing the best recording that he has available to him, right? It's just that, like, part of it is also, like, the internet transmission. So that might, like, lower or dampen, like, some of the sounds that we might be more familiar with. So we really have to look at, like, the more concrete things that we can nail. Like, like again, like, the, like, like Bobby's guitar, like, I don't think that you would be getting that sound just, like, in 84 and 85. I mean, not unless you're listening to an audience recording or something like that. It's much more muddled in a soundboard. I mean, you just, you wouldn't get it. I still think it's uh, in that 89 to 90 region. I think I could definitely go 88. I, I just don't feel like it's pre-coma. Um, and I'd hate to be wrong, but 
the sort of the song structure and uh, uh, Bob Weir's guitar tone and, and Mickey as well. You know, Touch started in 82, right? Touch was this jangly, almost backbeat sort of vibe. And they sped it up for a while. And, you know, in 84, it's, it's got a real clip to it. And then they sort of figure it out in 87, they record it, 86, 87. And it evolves after that as well. But it, it's, I don't know, to me, it had that, what Touch became sort of beat overall to it. Joshua, how do you feel about that? I'm feeling safe with, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident with Todd's analysis. Like 88 would be a good safe bet and like a good compromise because it would give us a good range. You know, if we're playing, if we think about playing the game as like the primary objective, then like 88 would be like a nice solid safe bet. But I can see this with 89 and 90. And again, touch of great changed places. Like I know there was a show from summer of 90 where it occupied the last song of the second set slot. So it's one of those things where like, if Jerry sounds tired, it might not just be like, the era it could also just be where the touch is placed in the show and where the show is placed in the tour yeah exactly yeah and another thing with touch is i feel brent played a lot more of his synth piano um in in the early 80s like i'm thinking of the recent in and out of the garden box that they released um and that had a couple of touches on there um, that they performed in madison square garden and to my recollection he played um, his piano on there and I feel like this, the the real organ, again, like we really get that post-coma. I might be wrong on this, but that's just my feeling. Jonathan, how do you feel about that? I, I'm not going to be a stick in the mud. I mean, I'll, I'll go with 88. Okay, so Todd, 88? Yeah, I think uh, as far as playing the game goes, sure. No objections. It was Touch of Grey at Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland, California on March 16th, 1988. Oh! <laughs> Congratulations. Bravo, guys. guys. Nice Bravo. job, everybody. Every, that was, that was yeah. team effort oh. all the way. It all was. The way. Jo- Jonathan compelled me to, to go with 88 because that felt like a safe bet. And you made some good points, so it's like, look at that. Well played. Well played. Uh, yeah, Excellent. Nice, nice job, guys. What was the month? Uh, it was March 16th. Of 88. Yeah, so they go to um, they go to Hampton, Virginia after that, if I'm not mistaken, and play in the, in the spring. I get Hampton mixed up. I saw them at Hampton so many times. There were, there were fall Hampton shows as well. Todd, yeah, welcome back to the show. And also, I mean to ask, you were at those 89 Hampton shows where the band built themselves as the Warlocks. When you were buying tickets and preparing to go, did you know why they were calling themselves the Warlocks? And also just what was it like being at those legendary shows? I mean, we had no idea, really. It was bizarre. And of course, everybody's seen the, um, the um, sign out in front that says, you know, the Warlocks, you know, out in front of the Hampton Coliseum. So it was, it was epic and amazing. And my formerly known as the Warlocks, that's what my tickets say. And we'd been in Hampton many, many times before that. It was fall break of college. So it was 100% cool. We had a hotel room right there. And I knew 30, 40 people that were there. The parking lot scene was always uh, really great and amazing and always managed to be relatively chill at Hampton. Uh, and then they just it just tore us to shreds for two nights in a row. Just they just tore, and, 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 and I'm a huge fan of night number one, help slip Franklin's uh, victim, my skip and go to eyes. The eyes is, tre- is tremendous. Uh, I'm mad about that victim. We were all grooving and all of a sudden it was dark heroin land. 
we had just done Slipknot and you know the thing that the one thing that always blew me away about seeing the dead I had never seen Slipknot before they hadn't played uh, help on the way Slipknot Franklin's Tower since uh, September 85 at the Kaiser and you think to yourself this is awesome I'd love to hear that song I'd love to hear this song I'd love to hear that song and then you get in the show at least I did and you realize Slipknot is dark Slipknot is dark and scary and I love dark and scary and you know it's just an incredible slipknot and then the other thing you don't realize is is as much as you love that hook you know when they actually finally play that hook again and the dark and scary is over and you're back and it's all back and the music's playing in the van just epic so I, I'm, I'm and I'm crazy for eyes of the world that eyes of the world is has some incredible Garcia uh work in in both solo sections and at the end and a neat little jam at the end and so we're all thrilled. We're loving life. We've had an incredible night. I'm sure it was the encore that night it was something amazing, I'm sure. And we go into the show the next night. If you know that, um, that Feel Like a Stranger from that Warlocks box set, that's the crushing, crushing stranger. They nail that end jam like nobody's business. And then Birdsong was extraordinary. And we go to set break and we're just like, you know, I, somebody said, somebody said, if there's a God, they'll play Dark Star. They had, they had broken out so much. And somebody in my crew said, if there's a God, uh, they'll play Dark Star. Uh, and they rip into, what is it? It's, it's Uncle John's playing some, some amalgam of that. And then you've, everybody's heard those first few notes of Dark Star. And that had been since 1984, summer Berkeley shows. And if I'm not mistaken, they go into the verse relatively quickly on that one and people cheer quite a bit. And then guess what? Dark Star gets really dark, right? And they go really dark, really quick. It was, you know, when uh, sort of Evil Dead comes to town, which I adore. I like Evil Dead, I like Evil Fish. Uh, I like it when things are, are hard edged and a little dissonant and there's a little bit of a scary tone to it. And that Dark Star with Jerry's like, just peeling notes that, that, that roll off the fretboard. And then uh, uh, they did We Bid You Good Night, uh, which I think they had done before. They did uh, Addicts of My Life. They did Addicts was a breakout from, I don't even know, 1972 or something like that. So Hampton is just so special, so special. And those shows, you know, you, you hear me just go through song by song. It just, they really just, uh, just brought it home in every way. And Garcia's playing Wolf right sort of wolf version three he's he's back on the wolf guitar it's got the whole midi rig uh we had never seen that before so it was just phenomenal and then we packed up our stuff and went home and took you know took midterm exams brilliant it's great to have you back todd thank you uh that's, it's, that's great. it's great to be back thanks thanks man so you guys have zero going into round two yeah let's play the second song
did put me to sleep to that. That was fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Uncle John's band. Joshua, do you have a feeling? It's early 70s. That's for sure. It seems to be only uh, Billy. It's no Mickey. So we can eliminate 71 and earlier. And, you know, 75 and later. And just my feeling, my feeling is that it's anywhere between post-Europe 72 to 74. I'm really leaning on 74, but I'm curious to hear what other people think about the vocals, number one, like how they sound compared to 73. And also um, Bob's guitar is very prominent. And the thing with a lot of Wallace sound recordings is that he sometimes can fall off. Like he's almost non-existent in the mix. Maybe that's not always true, but if, if I really had to guess, it'd either be 73 or 74. Jerry played great on that one. That was, that was a great little piece. Jonathan, where do you come in on this? Um, I'm pretty much right on money with Josh. Um, it's got to be Wall of Sound. Um, I just kind of recognize it. It, it. The instrumentation is very clear. You know, it doesn't really have the muddy sound of any of the other years. Um, so it's got to be 73, 74. Um, Donna wasn't singing. Um, I forget, was she even singing in Uncle John's band ever? Um, I think she did, but she also took a pause in like late 73, I believe. Yeah, she was pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. um, So so I'm leaning towards 74. All right, Todd, this is why I get paid the big bucks. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) So I totally agree with with these guys, of course. I wrote, you know, 73, 74 down. Um, I think we should talk about 72 for just a second. But um, as far as josh joshua the vocals go and jonathan yeah donna not singing i heard phil and so the question i have is when did phil stop singing did he sing he stopped sometimes 73 74 and picked it back up in the the 80s if i'm not mistaken i mean he stopped singing box in like 73 but the question is like did he still do backing vocals which i'm curious about like trucking and stuff like that at at some point he dropped off, um, but I'm not 100% sure when it is. It's certainly in that corridor. For Bob's guitar, I heard it high in the mix and a little bit distorted, a little bit crispy on the edge. And again, you don't hear his guitar a whole lot in a lot of Wallach sound recordings. It sounds relatively muted and uh, low in the mix. Um, that pushes me back towards 72 just a little bit. Uh, with a, you know, Europe 72, Bob's guitar sound is so quick and crispy and sharp. And it wasn't that on this recording. So that puts me, I think I'm at 73. I think with Phil still singing and Bob's guitar a little crispy, a little distorted, but it could absolutely be 74, you guys. This is a tough little corridor uh, right here. Okay. um, Yeah, 73, I guess. That would make a lot of sense with uh, Jerry's guitar sound because he took delivery of the wolf in September of 73. The previous 73, the whole all that wall of sound stuff was on alligator and a few other things. And I thought it sounded nice and bouncy and wolfy. Let's go 73, you guys. What do you think? I think it's a safe bet. Jonathan? Yeah, 73. All right. It was Uncle John's band at Oklahoma City Music Hall on November 14th, 1972. Oh! <laughs> 72? What was uh, the yeah. date? Uh, November 14th. So late okay. 72. 
late wow. 72. I'm a sadist. Yeah, late 72. Todd, you you were had an inkling of 72. Now that you know 72, what did you hear? It was Bob's guitar tone. I mean, again, listen to uh, Europe 72, which is arguably the finest. Well, right, it's a live audio recording. It's the first time that, that anyone ever did a multi-track live recording and then take it into the studio and drop things out, master it, and add overdubs to it. So there's vocal overdubs, there's organ overdubs. I don't know if there's guitar overdubs. There's certainly vocal overdubs, but it's Europe 72 is just brilliant, right? The playing is incredible. The auditory experience is incredible. So listen for Bob Weir's guitar. It's snappy. It's not distorted like a heavy metal distortion. It's a clean guitar tone, but when he sort of whacks it really hard, it's just got a really strong snap or a grind. It's a little distorted on there. It's an amazing sound, and he only really did it in uh, that Europe 72 corridor. So it didn't sound quite like that, but it sounded not as, as mellow and undistorted as he gets into 73 and 74. Got it. Joshua, welcome back to Guest of the Year. Um, we've been chatting a bit in these last couple of months, I guess, and I know you've been getting into curious about taping, and also you just went and you got fish-pilled the other night. I'd love to hear oh, about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which, one, which one should I start off with? Uh, tell us about the fish-pilling. So that was incredible. Um, I'd gotten... So I'm Bay Area resident. They came to the Greek, which is like absolutely insane you know the last time they played there was like 13 years ago um which is again long long time and i know that there was a major safety concerns the last time that they played at the greek because it's such a small venue where it's located i mean you know it's there's no lot scene right it's a walking lot you know there's i mean everyone knows what a fish lot looks like you know so you got balloons everywhere you got you know people selling their wares everywhere and it just becomes a little bit of a mess which it was this time around too um i mean insane mess insane mess but <laughs> i i was very fortunate because uh i you know i've over the last couple especially this last month i've met a lot of people um in the bay area that are local that go to shows and so i was able to go with a few of them you know we got like a decent spot and monday night was the first time and that's the night with the 44 minute tweezer right that they uh everyone's talking about which my little funny story with that is that I had really needed to pee those whole 44 minutes and I'd been waiting for them to change the song. You know, I'm waiting for it to be like the Grateful Dead experience. But uh, little did I know that it would be a dark star level tweezer pretty much. Um, it was great. I mean, I'd never really listened to Fish before and I'd specifically avoided it partially because of like the scene and like the associate, you know, like everyone knows that the Grateful Dead is probably the most mellow out of any great, out of any like jam band in the scene you know like grateful dead like related things at least that's like what i feel and what i see um but it was definitely great i mean trey is fantastic you know i don't i i feel like i'm like the last person to discover this <laughs> you know <laughs> in the whole world but you know it's great at least i made it right at least i made it um and then i i skipped tuesday i wasn't able to go you know because you know i still have life and school and you know all these other wonderful things but I made it for Wednesday, which was bicycle day. Um, and so that was a very interesting experience, big beyond the music, just watching everybody else. Um, and it really seemed like Wednesday was also like the most, I don't want to use the word chaotic, but like the most like crowded. I mean, you know, last day that fish was going to be playing at the Greek, everyone wanted to get in. And I'd gotten a really wonderful spot um, in like the lower pit. 
I came early enough that, you know, I was able to do that. Tarps are crazy. I don't know why people insist on that. You know, we all pay one price for the ticket at an all-GA venue like they had it set up, but whatever. I mean, fantastic show. I had no idea what was going on. I mean, when they break into a song like Lawn Boy and, like, you know, Paige just, like, leaves his piano and he starts walking on stage. I mean, like, I had no idea what was going I mean, like, literally no idea what was going on, but it was great. I mean, there, it was also um, the first time when I had really felt like lights were a really huge part of the show. Chris, um, the gentleman who runs the lights, CK5, however people call him, I mean, he is just incredible. And Wednesday night, even though, every, again, everyone talks about Monday, but um, from people that had went, a lot of people said that Tuesday was better than Monday, even though Monday, again, had that big tweezer. And a lot of people really loved Wednesday. You know, it was, it was a great light show, like more than anything. And with taping, um, I had a gentleman who sent me his rig. He lives in New York, as far as I understand, or like the New Jersey area. And I'm just starting to get acquainted with it because it's just like one of those like basic like road shotgun mics. And I'm a little intimidated because everyone else has like thousands of dollars worth of equipment and stands. And it's like, you know, being like 19 and bringing in like a, you know, six foot stand into like a venue feels a little awkward. Um, but I'm planning on it. A wavy gravy's birthday. Um, they're doing a little SIVA benefit um, here at the Herbs Theater. I'm going for that. You know, I have an idea to just like stick it on my hat. And I have like a little recorder in the back pocket and do something like that. Um, we'll see how it goes. It's just I'm, I've met some tapers um, as well, like at Skull and Roses, because they had like a very like open section. I don't know if you saw Mike, but, like it was like the soundboard and then pretty much just like a six foot space in front of them where they, you know, let them like set up. And, you know, um, it's a great gift that there are people that still engage in this. Um, you know, not everyone has the ability to afford a Nug subscription or, you know, pay for a soundboard recording of their show. But when you have people that put in the effort and, you know, bust their ass to like get you a recording for the show, you know, like many thanks to Charlie Miller, like people like that. I mean, it becomes a great, great gift for all of us. And it's like, there's obviously less and less tapers. I mean, like when you look at pictures from like the eighties, you know, you're seeing literally like a field of tapers and we're talking about like, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars and like, you know, equipment, hours and hours of time before and after the show. I mean, you know, it's a whole ordeal. And so it's a, to be able to try and participate in that would be a great way of giving back, you know, for all the great things that every, every other taper has done to lead me to this point, because without them, this wouldn't be possible. You know, there's no reason why all of these shows should be available in amazing soundboard quality. There's no reason. There's absolutely no reason. I mean, most bands don't have it that way, I believe. Or at the very least, they've just been sitting in the back of their archives until they feel it's time for a box set release 50 years after the band has retired. You know, that's what happens with most bands, I feel like. Grateful Dead has been very courteous to us that they've been releasing all of this stuff at a fairly affordable price point. Really well said, Josh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, beautifully said, Joshua. Todd, you did, a, did you do taping your day? Or am I remembering that correctly? I did. Uh, my my college roommate, uh, his older brother Dave, uh, was a taper. Uh, and as uh, fate would have it, I got a phone call tonight at seven thirty Eastern Standard Time from from Dave's younger brother Steve, my college roommate, uh, for the first time in about ten years or more. Uh, and so I just chatted to the guy who introduced me to taping and whose rig I used to tape with. They used to tape the dead from 83, 84, 85, 86, you know, Hampton, Richmond, 
North Carolina shows. Uh, and then we used to take it to, to fish. We started seeing fish in 1990. Uh, my wife started seeing them earlier than that, but at least 1990 uh, at tracks in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we brought our Grateful Dead taping rig into there. So there's at least one like 90, 91 fish show out there that's my recording. Um, that's but awesome. that was that's the extent of it. Uh, that's the extent of it. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to listen to your tapes, Joshua. I'm sure they'll be excellent. And um, that's all we're doing. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You guys are at one point after two songs. So you're on pace. Still not a lot of room for error. Let's play the next song. Jonathan, uh, do you have a thought? Um, yeah. Um, obviously, the eleven. Uh, the li- one thing I love about this band, I'm just like closing my eyes. I mean, that, that is just like very just '60s psychedelia, just like drenched with acid. Like, I, I, what I really like about that is, um, it's like there's just singing right into my ears. You know, it just felt like really intimate. I don't know if you guys got that, but like, I felt like I was like right there in the front row. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but maybe just like compared to like the last two songs we listened to, I mean, this is like something totally different. This totally different sound. I mean, you, this is basically a totally different band. As far as this recording, um, I think I hear Pigpen on organ. He he had a very different style uh, from uh, Tom, obviously. Um, I don't know. He kind of stuck out a little bit in the jams. Um, you know, I mean, he obviously never really partook in any psychedelics. I feel like he never really had that. Um, I, either the band was playing around him. Or he's kind of uh, struggling to fit in with the band's jam. But I, I really feel like, even though Pig never really played organ on this song, I kind of feel like this is either Tom is just starting the band and is trying to fit in, or it's Pig just trying to play a very early 11. It's either the one of the two. And 
I know Tom was playing in 68. I don't think he was playing in 67. So it's either 67 or 68, one of those two years. Joshua, you're, uh, you seem like you have an idea. What do you think? I feel, I feel like Jonathan is right on the money. I believe the 11 wasn't played in 67. And I feel really confident with Jonathan's analysis. Like, I think he totally nailed it. Like, this is either Pig totally mashing himself in there or Tom loud in the mix early. You know, like sort of the same thing that happened with Brent. They keep him high in the mix and, you know, just to see how he sounds. Um, and again, the other thing is the messiness of how they're playing. You know, I feel like the 69 ones where it's like, you know, Steven, the 11, like where they have that nailed. Like, I feel you get a, it's a lot tighter, um, a lot more focused. So I feel like 68 would just be a solid guess. Before we proceed, I should mention that Joshua, you're um, seeing how Brent sounds higher in the mix poll has been mentioned in like nine episodes oh, yeah. now. <laughs> so uh, I feel like that's I, I don't feel like that's like me though. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that's a more no 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 no. I feel like that's a no, you're absolutely you right. Though? You're absolutely right. I mean, I even picked up on it in my own uh, game show. Like one year was like 81, the next year was like 84. And like Brent was like lower in the mix. That's how I knew it was later in the eighties. Um, so no, you're definitely on to something, Jonathan or Joshua. <laughs> Todd, where do you come in on this? Uh, I wrote, you know, 67, 68, 69, and I underlined 68. Um, who is on the organ? Oh my God. I mean, it's like, so first of all, they're like playing in an odd time signature. So you gotta be on your, your stuff to be able to play this song. And they're really high in the mix and they're like leading it. I mean, at some point I couldn't even hear Jerry. All I could hear was the organ. So who has learned the 11 and is wailing the 11 in this recording? I'm dying to know. Uh, the vocals were really high pitch. And I feel like that is more 68 or earlier. Um, I think 68 is a safe bet right in the middle. I agree. I mean, I, I feel like this is a song that Tom had to learn, and it doesn't feel like a song that Pig would have really bothered to learn because it's just not really his style. You like you I mean? said, he yeah he lays out on the jams, and while this is not improvisational, well it is, but I mean it's such a hard structure to play over. It is. 11... It's not four four, and it's not a bluesy tune. Yeah, no, it's it's an eleven pattern. Yeah, very hard time signature. That's why they put it to rest after like 1969 or 70. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. I, I think 68 is our general consensus here. So nobody thinks 69. Do we think 67 at all? No, I think it was busted out in 68. That's my feeling. And also, again, there, I, I feel comfortable with what Jonathan said with that Tom and Pigpen overlap. Like, it seems like that would be the perfect time for somebody to be really high in the mix. Either Pigpen is really overconfident in his playing, or Tom is just trying to settle in, and they're like, you know, we're trying to get yeah. himself inserted into it. So it's frankly too rough for '69. '69, it was pretty polished by then. Yeah. So like I'm thinking of like the arc shows, you know, from April of '69, and like stuff from there is so tuned in that like I find it hard to place it in 69 it really seems to have more of that like primal energy of 67 or 68 and 68 seems to be a safe bet okay 68 does anyone object to that okay the 11 at carousel ballroom in san francisco on february 14th 1968 nice there work. we go gentlemen high five nice heck work. yeah heck yeah 
So was it Tom up there? Good question. Tom was not there. It was just Big Ben. Tom started in November 68, and this was February 68. Um, Jonathan, I want to ask, you were talking with Todd about how that was a difficult time signature to play, so much so that the band stopped playing the 11. Why is that such a difficult time signature to play? Well, 4-4 uh, four, four is common time. You know, almost, most songs you think of is in 4-4. Four, 3-4 four. Four is more of a swing, you know, um, kind of like a waltz, you would think. Um, one, two, three. One, two, three. Not one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You know, it is, and, and 11 um, is just beyond a waltz, you know. Um, I mean, I think with um, the other one, it's a 4-4 four, four over a 12-8. Not easy to play, frankly. Um, it's kind of alien in the musical world. The lore is that they uh, hung out on, in, you know, at the house and hate and practiced it, you know, over and over and over again. And so I think for the 11, you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. So it like doesn't complete your sort of two beats missing at the end almost. You know, they, it's just one of those things. They stopped playing it, right? They stopped playing a bunch of things that they had amazing ideas uh, uh, for early on. And that one's just, it's, uh, it's hard to find the one, uh, or it can be hard to find the one if you're the soloist. Uh, but Jerry was masterful at figuring out ways to, to always find the one. And I love those early 11 recordings, but that organ was foreign to me. Um, you guys are at one point after three songs. So three more points to play with to win, four more to tie. Let's play the next song. So, yeah, who has a thought? Well, there's one drummer. Was there? Was there? Yeah, I think. I was feel there? like I heard Mickey. That's like the that's like that's honestly the only thing I'm confident about. I didn't I I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I had a tough time trying to Am hear I the keyboard player. I feel like it was 78. I was bouncing between 
74 and 78 because I don't know, it was hard to hear almost anything. And I did think I heard two drummers and I thought eventually Garcia's got higher enough in the mix to hear him on that first solo. And it sounded more 78 to me. The thing that concerns me, and I think like when I when I did my episode with Todd and Mike, you know, we talked about 78. That was one of the picks. And uh, Keith seems to be almost missing. I mean, I don't either either the mix is burying him or he's just playing the chords so uniform to whatever Jerry and Bobby are playing in terms of rhythm that there is just there's like I can't hear anything like Phil's pronounced. I could hear Phil, but um, I don't know. I feel like if it was like any anything in the 80s. I would be hearing Brent, and it certainly seems to be in the 70s. It could be 74, but I feel like there's a certain... I, I, I have a feeling I hear two drums. There's a little bit of... There's so much noise with the drumming in the background that I just have a feeling that, you know, you got, you know, the rhythm devil just monkeying around in the back. So that it leans me to 78. I wouldn't want to say 79 because that's too big of a gap in terms of, again, playing the game. I mean, I listened to a 78, um, Donnie B. Good, for example. Um from like May 11th or something. Um, sounds a little bit different. I mean, uh, for one thing, uh, Billy, I assume, uh, he was not that high in the mix. Um, Keith, he really was not in the mix either because of 78. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, just that one drummer was very heavy in the mix. I mean, am I the only one who's really getting that? I mean, do you guys really think like Mickey was just so buried in the mix? Like, because I, I, I feel like they, they, they would give mickey a little bit more um sound i heard I mean, a lot i don't of, know what like, do you guys think uh, joshua said like there's a drum density sort of back there and i think it was not articulate you couldn't really hear what was doing what but there's like a lot of drum stuff going on yeah and and with it being promised land we have to remember that that song is usually a first set opener which means we're often dealing with big soundboard mix problems yeah yeah and that Levels. and that's really what that's what I heard. I mean, we, I barely heard Jerry, and I definitely didn't hear anybody on keys. And for me, keys is like my personal like, go-to in terms of like what air I can assess they're playing. Again, I don't feel like we get this fullness in 76. or I mean, There's more fullness, I should say, in 76 and 77. There is something to be said with maybe like 74 or 73, but I feel like seven, for me, 78 is a better bet simply because of like just, again, the, how I described it, like the density of those drums. Even if it's you know, I just have a feeling that it was Mickey and Billy and that and Bobby was great in the mix, too, which is another good pointer for seven for late 70s. I will I will say, like, in the set placement um, post hiatus, 76 through um, 79, I guess, um, Promised Land was actually a first set closer. Usually um, I'm thinking back to like a Hartford, Connecticut, 77, May. Um, that, that was a really good closer. Um, Oh, they even played it uh, as a closer, I think, in uh, Hampton in 89. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, so uh, it was definitely a pre-hiatus opener, um, obviously, a most famous uh, Veneta 72. Um, I think it was still an Oprah post-70, but but totally. I, I absolutely agree, man, because I know with Brand, yeah, it was it only shifts. a closer. Um, so, right. jo Jonathan, on the one-drum angle, what do you think it is? 74, 75, 70? I guess just be have to have to be I don't 74, know. right? I mean, honestly, the mix was kind of muddy. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not really a hallmark of the wall of sound. So I, I, I guess that would mean it's probably post hiatus. 
I mean, I think it's 78, but I'm questioning whether we should consider 76 at all. It, it didn't necessarily have that. Well, again, we couldn't hear a whole lot and the mix was really rough. It, it, so 76 sometimes has a almost a whistle to it, if you will, like a real audio thing that's on a lot of those tapes. And I think to build on that, um, like uh, Mickey, um, since he was uh, kind of new to the band, um, if you could even say that, in 76, yeah, right. they were kind of trying to figure out how to mix him back in. I mean, there are times when, like, I was even listening to the show, and I'm like, let me listen to that again, because it turned out to be 76. And I'm like, okay, like, he's like, Mickey's like playing the tambourine, like something kind of obscure, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, this is, so, yeah, I, I feel like uh, Mickey's just trying to edge himself in, and it, it could be one of those 76 shows where they just don't know what to do with the man. I do feel like 78, but but Joshua, what do you think? Yeah, um, my one thing is if I could hear Keith, I would have a much easier time. If Keith was loud and prominent in the mix, I would much more safely say 76 for the same reasons that Jonathan said it. Like, if it was Mickey, he would have been, like, you know, new and all of that, like, still getting used to the groove. But I feel like 78 is just my safe bet, again, with the lack of Keith um, or, you know, lack of distinct Keith really bums me out. And that just leads me to 78. And then also, um, I don't know. This is a tough one. I mean, it can't be 77. That's all I know. Oh, how about That's this? How about this? Was it a disco beat? Was it disco? No. No? I mean... I feel like 78 Prompt is mine. Prompt ain't really disco. Yeah, no, it's kind of cowboy. I mean, not as me and, me, or, me and my uncle, but I mean, they definitely discoed it up in 78. <laughs> I would stick with 78, but, you know, if I, I wonder what the consensus is among. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right on the money with uh, Keith being absent. I think 78 is a pretty safe bet in all, yeah. all truth and fullness. Let's go 78 and hope it's not like 76 or some obscure 74 thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It, it was that promised land at Tower Theater in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania on June 24th, 1976. God. Oh! <laughs> Jonathan, nice work. You're on the money there. Joshua, you said it's either 76 or 78. It's definitely not 77. Um, why could never have been 77? The Holy Grail. I mean, it's the money. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of 77 like some other people are. I'll be honest. You know, I don't think Cornell's the greatest show, even from, you know. Even but, from the two-night stand they did there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that just 77 is just a, they're a little too tuned in. They're a little too dialed in. I mean, like every, nearly every show is just, and there's also a different sound to it. There just is a different sound to it. 78, you're getting coked out. And 76 is this more jazzy groove. And that's the hard thing with a song like Promised Land is that it's such a basic rockabilly song that they've done in every single iteration nearly of what is the Grateful Dead that like, you, it's hard to pin down like what era it is unless you get a full range of the instrumentation. And again, with it being a first set opener, I believe, um, in this era and possibly even with this show, like it just, it makes it harder to pin down like exactly who's who, who's playing and what era, but we did, you know, say either 76 or 78 and we weren't that far off, you know, for sure. Um, Todd, like post-mortem, what did you hear there? I mean, again, uh, I agree that it would have been great to have that full 
band experience, but um, the the density of the, of the drums and then Garcia eventually came in. And so I guess for 76, his sound should have been really wiry and thin. That's a whole nother guitar rig, different uh, pre-amplifier and a different guitar. And it ends up with a really wiry sound. I find 76s often it sounds like the whole band like has a chorus effect on them, almost a, a low swishy sound to them. It's just a tough one, a tough one, right? That pocket between 76 and what and 78, it's <laughs> totally skipping 77 over, <laughs> right? Slicing it out of the pie uh, is there's some interesting equivalencies right in there, but got me, got us. You guys are at three points. And so you have one point to work with to win, two to tie, going into the last song. The John was jumping, going round and round. And I lead it in market for a crazy sound. I know they never start rocking to the moon window. The sound is so sweet. I had to take a chance. I rose out of my seat. Cause I had to dance. It started moving my feet. Oh, yes, I'm clapping my hands. But no rim is not rocking. Going round and round. Hey, I read it and rock. Who has a thought? That one was tough again. Very tough. Certainly Three. 80s. Yeah. <sighs> Certainly I mean, I, it's not on the periphery of the 80s, though. It's somewhere. It, it could be before coma, after coma. Um... I got 84, 85, 86 written down. I went 86 first. We couldn't hear Jerry sing. That doesn't help. I will say a, a Brent's keyboard. Um. So he he kind of goes back and forth between I I recognize some like really soft um sounds that he would use like like eighty four eighty three even eighty five um but, but I know it's like towards the end of the recording um he definitely had that more uh, bright organ that he used um up until his uh, untimely death um so I I feel like this may be eighty six you know after the coma um I don't know what about you Josh what do you say. I'm really feeling it with you guys. At first, when I was, you know, not really as deep of a listen, I, I would have automatically guessed something like, you know, 89, 90, but really giving it a listen, it really does seem to be either right post-coma 
or before. Again, I feel like you guys are on the money with somewhere between 84 and 86. My gut would say somewhere with 85 and 86. One of those two years. Um, it's hard. It's hard. This is a hard one. This is a really hard one. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what's the difference? What is a discernible difference between 85 and 86? Because I, I, I don't know th any. Th this, is, this is what's hard for me. This is, I, I can't tell you much. And I want to interject that it, it could easily be 84 as well, unless there's a, there is some other limiting factor. My one thing that makes me lean towards 86 is that it seems there seems to be some bleed over of audience noise, which might seem to suggest that this is the beginning of the ultra matrix recording era, which is like, I think 86 and then, you know, 87, 88, 18, you know, rest of the band's career. As far as I know, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. 85 seems like a safe bet in terms of if we want to get it between 84 and 86. This is true. Again, this is in the true. In the, this is all in the spirit of playing the game. Not even that it's I'm true. sure that it's that year. Todd, let's hear you say you're the only one who said 84. Well, what makes you feel like it might be 84? There's just a little bit of a Bob Weir guitar tone thing. It's a, a little bit open, airy, but still plucky. Um, but he sort of has versions of that through this whole era, even as he switches guitars, he remains this very sort of open, airy, a plucky, reverby sort of sound. But there was just something about it that reminded me of 84 tapes. Again, I wish we had been able to hear Garcia play more, but also sing. I, the first thing I wrote down was 86, for sure. And then I just sort of worked it backward where I think it could be any of those. I think 85 is a safe bet. I'm not sure it's 85. I think it's 86. Um, I mean, j just listening to that Garcia solo, it's very seamless. It sounds like a very sober Garcia. He's not, he's not strung out. It sounded like he started playing like a major scale instead of a blues scale uh, for a minute there. And then like sort of caught himself like, oh yeah, we're, we're sort of doing a, a bluesy, a bluesy pattern. Uh, and that could be any time in that window, 84, 85, 86, just like a straight up flub where you, you know, go launch into something that has a distinctive sound and you play the wrong set of notes, if you will, if there are such thing as wrong notes. Um, what do you guys think? Is 85 the safe? It's all bet? about how you resolve them. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm leaning more towards 86 personally I would, um, I would be happy with 86 because that's what my gut said and if that's what your guys's gut says i feel like you know there's a yeah. there's a, there's our a certain, collective gut here <laughs> but there's nothing again again in the spirit of playing the game even though i don't think it's the right year 85 might be better if it lands in 84 in terms of the score because either way if we only get one point off we still win right so it's one it's one of those things like if we're confident that it's in the late pre-coma era 85 is a safe bet just in terms of a point you i know? think that's smart i think that's smart giving us some room for error right i feel like we're i'm back in that situation where i should say the answer that makes the most sense for the game even if i'm not sure it's really the correct answer yeah i think we should exactly. i think we should go 85 it sounds like both of you guys think we should go 85 i feel like it would be a safe it's safe bet. all agreed okay it was around and around at Nassau on April 11th, 1982. Oh my God. Oh, no. Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah. So then it's three. So final score, oh. six, five. A fucking, 
nail biter. 82. Yeah, that's crazy. Early 82, too. Yeah. April 11th. I mean, so he's got the, Brent's got the organ going, but he's also got some keys. Jo Jonathan, you said you heard like some, some keys as well as organ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of split them in half there. Uh, one thing I noticed, uh, like for a split second, is like, oh, this is early 80s. Just when I heard Bob, like, I don't know, mm -hmm. something about that recording, like, uh, it, it actually remind me of a go to Nassau from like uh, 80 or 81, the, the, the official live release. The other team guessed 81 there. Wow. Nice. One point off the, the pace there, guys, on a, a very hard five songs, very sparse, especially that promised land around and around. Yeah, yeah. To it. Just not yes. a lot of sound there's. Yeah. Spoke well, good about. for them. Good for them. That's <laughs> Seriously. Uh, that's, yeah, that's cool. I love it. Um, yeah, it was fascinating listening to all you guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Mike. For the, yeah, no, no, thanks thank for, you for having us. This is great. Yeah. yeah, great to do it again. Great to do it, it with it, uh, uh, and chat it up with people in real time. Just great. My sentiments exactly. I mean, it, it's so nice being able to like, try to decipher everything and just distill it down into one year. I mean, because I can just go with any thought, but being able to talk with you guys, I mean, it's a real treat. Absolutely. Well... Uh, it was a pleasure to listen to all of you. So fun. Thank you all for doing it. All right. Subscribe to Guest of the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for all the show links, including our YouTube channel and TikTok and loads of other stuff. Go to guestoftheyear.net. And if you want to be contested on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at guestoftheyear.net. Thanks so much to Dylan for drawing the posters. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. We're going to have more stuff in the future. It's There might be a brief break, but we'll be back, I promise, with something different. But, you know, not that different. So thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Um, thank you to all of our contestants. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night.